Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Hi, my name is Larry Gifford. I have Parkinson's disease. My mom doesn't have it. My dad didn't have it. My brothers and sister don't have it. Yet, it affects us all. This is when life gives you Parkinson's. Joining me on this podcast journey is producer and reporter Nikki Reitmeyer. Hey, Larry. In this episode, I can't wait to talk to your family because when a sibling gets Parkinson's, I imagine that there must be cause for concern for the other siblings, you know, worried about their own health as a result. All right, Nikki. So today you get to meet my brothers and sister. Ah, I can't wait to hear more about them. Tell me about your family. All right, so there's four of us kids. I'm the youngest, the baby. Uh, I've always lived away from everyone else for most of my adult life. Um, Growing up, we we had good times and bad times together, you know. Uh, The good times, you know, my parents would uh, drive to Florida for Thanksgiving, and we'd meet all of our neighbors down there. Like, there was like 20, 25 people that would show up in the same hotel. We'd have big Thanksgiving feasts, and it was great. I love that. We were shoved in the uh, station wagon in the way back seat with four kids and smelly feet. It was great. Testing one, two, three, four. This is Christmas morning, 1972. And within a matter of minutes, you will be hearing Bruce, Danny, Tracy, and Larry as they take their first look at what Santa Claus left for them last night. You know, and then the, the hard times, you know, 15 years ago, we lost our dad, and that was really tough. Gifford, and I am Larry's older brother. My name's Dan Gifford. Uh, I'm the second of four children. I'm Tracy Cherry, and I am Larry Gifford's older sister. I, I, our family is is. Uh, oh. Uh, we're kind of spread out all over the place. Scattered at this point. Right now, we're I would say fractured because we're not all together, and and that makes it hard because I've got obviously I've got you in in Vancouver, uh, Bruce and his family are in Hartford. And Tracy's in Mount Vernon, um, which I'll be an hour away from here. Um, you know, I'm in Westerville. And so we're, we're not together. Mom's in Florida. Uh, obviously, Dad has passed. But uh, regardless of where we all are, we are always there for each other when we're needed. Really? 
So as, as you probably guess by now, I'm the perfect child of the family. Uh, I was always closest to my sister, Tracy. She's only three years older than I am, so we were the closest in age. Uh, and she was always getting me into and sometimes out of trouble. Uh, I also have the two older brothers. And they, they were off to college when I was still quite young. When we don't have a ton in common. I was music, theater, they were sports and math. I mean, it was very, very big dichotomy there. Um, I guess the only thing we had in common, uh, my brothers and I, is that we, the three of us went to Otterbein College. Um, and all four of us are always there for each other. So Dan, who is the second oldest brother, he is a CFO, he's outgoing, he's a jokester. He hosts the family gatherings each year, though most years I'm not around for it. Uh, Bruce is the oldest. Now he, he's an actuary by trade, the chief data and analytics officer of a really big insurance company. Uh, super left-brained, uh, grew up, he was the blonde haired blue-eyed, handsome devil. Uh, but uh, I'd say he's who Dan, Tracy, and I now go to for advice most often. So he's kind of the big eldest brother and you're the baby of the group. Right. And we were all different in our own right. Where exactly did you grow up? Grew up in Ohio. Oh, okay. The capital of Ohio is Columbus. And just north of Columbus is this place called Westerville, which was actually the home of Prohibition, strangely enough. Really? Yeah, it's called the dry capital of the world. Oh, man. And you couldn't buy alcohol there until long after I left. Larry, I'd love to say I want to visit your hometown, but <laughs> I'm not necessarily <laughs> sure if I do. But it was a great place uh, to raise a family, to be a kid. Uh, great schools, great neighbors, low crime. Um, in fact... Throughout the summer, they'd just ship us outside and go go play, and all the neighbor kids would get together and uh, play outside. Would play capture the flag or kick the can or basketball or you know stick ball or whatever. We were we were just it was just a big group of kids hanging around all summer long. It was it was really quite fun. But I'll let my brothers and sister fill in some more of the details. Historically, it was a traditional traditional family um, father who worked. Uh, full-time outside the home. Um, mom did as well over time, but she was the the uh, traditional, played more of the traditional mom role, taking care of us. Um, and uh, there was four of us, and it was quite chaotic at times. I can remember just having a blast, just running around the neighborhood, and, and we all the kids would be running around doing different things. And We were kind of the household where the entire neighborhood gathered adults and kids growing up. You know, when we were home and we weren't out at ball, ball games or whatever, uh, everybody was at our house. Larry, it sounds like you guys had a really great childhood growing up, that you were all quite close. And you don't then, have to be surprised by that. <laughs> no, but I mean, as you got into adulthood, you know, you all moved so far away from each other, and then all of a sudden... An event like this comes into your life. You know, you learn that you have Parkinson's disease. Was it hard communicating that to your siblings when just distance-wise you're all living so far apart now? Well, sure. I mean, I think it's hard for anybody to deliver that news to somebody they love. Um, you know, for me, I, I, I ended up texting them uh, because I don't know that I could have handled the phone calls, although the phone calls came. Right, <laughs> uh, but I didn't want to have to make you know four different phone calls to my brothers, my sister, and my mom. Well, scary. Yeah, well, it's you and know, emotionally draining. It, 
right? And then having to repeat it over and over. So I'm like, let me just write it out. <laughs> and see Mass how. text them. Merry Christmas, <laughs> Merry by the Christmas. way. <laughs> I have Parkinson's. Oh, by the way, I hope you're having a great day, but <laughs> I've got Parkinson's. Um, so uh, that's, it was tough though. I mean, it was, and it's tough being far away. Like they can't come over with, here, let me make you dinner or why don't you come over and right. have a drink or like they're, they're, you can't do that. And that, that's hard. So why did you want to talk to your siblings for this podcast? It's multifaceted. Um, Even though we're not that close. I really thought this was a great opportunity for us to have some real heart-to-heart conversations, to, to get past the niceties of the occasional phone call where... Yeah, how you doing? Oh, pretty good. Uh, really? Uh, well, you know, I have my days. Oh, okay. You know, like it's just, you're just, they, they, they want to know and they don't want to know at the same time. Uh, but when you only call each other once a month or once every couple of months, you don't get into the details of everyday life. You generalize things. So I thought this would be a good idea to really dig into what they're feeling, what I'm feeling, how we're handling it, how we're processing it. Yeah, because I imagine, you know, they don't get to do much more than skim the surface with you and and vice versa. You know, maybe maybe you do, maybe you don't, but really get to find out how they're feeling about your diagnosis. Right. And, you know, it's, we all support each other in something like this, right? So like, you know, my wife needs support just like I need support. My son needs support and my sister needs support. My mom needs support. Yeah. Like everybody, you know, Parkinson's is given to everybody. Right. Like I, I get the diagnosis, but it impacts us all. Um, you know, and it makes you, when you get Parkinson's, it makes you really evaluate your relationships and how you live your life and your priorities and like everything. And so probably... You know, I just felt like I needed to sort of recalibrate my relationships with my siblings. Um, and I missed them, so I wanted to hear their voices and and have a conversation that we really haven't had, maybe ever, which is sort of that just real intimate, letting the silences breathe, being there for each other, and, you know, it's, I think it's important to do because... It's changed us, so then we need to re-figure out how to be with each other. Um, I think it's also really important, and I said this earlier, but Parkinson's isn't just about me. Hmm. It's, It's my diagnosis, but it really reverberates far and wide. Last April, I sent you and the family a text Uh, and I'll read it to you. Hi all, news of a sort from up north. For some time now, I've been experiencing issues on the side of my body, leading up to foot dragging and clomping, favoring my left hand over my right for many tasks, slurred speech at times. Life-threatening issues have been eliminated. Today, I went to the MS clinic for tests. MS is very unlikely, but it appears I have something in the Parkinson's family. I've been referred to a specialist, will be getting a brain MRI, and will be taking drugs to increase dopamine, which should relieve my symptoms. I would encourage you not to worry. It seems under control, and we aren't exactly sure what it is yet. But I wanted to make you make sure you were all in the loop. Love, Larry. Where were you when you read that? Sitting on the couch in my living room. Tears just started coming down my face, like they just did. 
I don't remember exactly what I was doing, um, but I can remember <laughs> first is like, wow. I can remember how I heard, and and I think mom called me before I got your text, if I if I recall. So I was I was aware something was going on. I don't think we knew enough of the details, and and I did get that, and I I shared it with with Dee, and and it was just it was shocking. It was. Um, an eye-opening experience. It was something that I didn't ever expect that that was what would happen to, you know, to any of us. And to have it happen to my youngest brother, you know, at such a young age was, was even more shocking. You know, one of, one of the things I love to do is learn. And so then beginning the process of, of, you know, immediately trying to learn most, what is, what is, what is Parkinson's? What does that mean? And then I think then it goes, you know, kind of quickly to, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. There's no, I'm a, as you know, I'm a logical person. I'm a math major. I, you know, things, things are typically logical and this just wasn't logical. Uh, it didn't make any sense. Why, why, why Larry? Um, and then I think then it quickly goes to, all right, so he's, a, he's not by any of us. You know, we can't really help him, uh, physically. So, you know, how are we going to, to figure out how to help Larry through all this. Um, Jim saw me crying and asked me what was wrong. And I started to read it to him and I couldn't read it, so I handed it to him. And we talked about it and I cried some more and pretty sure I responded at some point. Uh, I know I did. Um, I, I was devastated. I'm still devastated. Um, I'm devastated for you, for Becky, for Henry, the most, the three of you, the most. Um, I'm devastated for the rest of us, selfishly. I think about the things that that I try to do with my boys, and then I look at the things that that you know you're going through, and and you know you're not uh, you're using more public transportation, you're not driving, you have some troubles, you know whether it's walking or running. Usually when, when when I get up, the, one of the first things I do is I'll go out and run. And I'm like, gosh, Larry doesn't get to do this. No, not I, that Larry I never, would ever do that. I never did. But that's a whole different story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's, it's you feel, I feel almost guilty that, that I don't have to deal with what you're dealing with. And I feel more guilty that I'm not there to be able to support and help you because it's just such a far distance. Because we're not there and we don't see you, it's, it's a, it can be out of mind. And, you know, not in a bad way, but it's a lot easier to deal with it without seeing it, right? Which we can, we can talk and, and, um, like when dad was, was sick. I mean, when you, when you were with him and saw him, it was, it was painful. Not that, you know, you're, you're to that point yet, but without seeing, uh, you know, the, the symptoms you describe, um, you know, on a, on a daily basis, you, you, you can, you almost block it out a little bit. Because without being able to see you on a regular basis, we only have what our minds build up and to, as to being able to know how bad it is. This last month with your updates and you were able to show some videos of your hand shaking and really kind of describe like you can't put your hand in your pocket and that kind of thing, 
you know, until we see those things, you, your mind goes crazy with how bad is it really. Well, what What do you think of the proximity? Uh, but the distance between the family. Yeah, what, I mean, the fact that you that, that we can't really be there for you physically. You know, you've you've lived away from. You know, and I have now for a while up from the rest of the family, so it's that part's no different. And as you and I both know, there's some big benefits for that. <laughs> uh, but on the flip side, um, you know, we're not there to do whatever to help you out and get together and have dinner and you know just do do you know family things either. So how do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, most days I'm. It just feels like it's been for the last 20 years where, where I've been halfway across the country or all the way across the country. Uh, but it's the other night, uh, I was having a bad night. I didn't sleep really at all the night before. And Becky had to go do a, a, a meeting with the, uh, parent teacher association or something. And, and, uh, I, I was having a bad night. So she had to call off her meeting. So she, she could watch Henry because I was just in no shape to do it. And uh, mm-hmm. like things like that, it'd be nice to yep. have family around to say, hey, can you come over and help me watch Henry for a bit? Yep. Um, That's a good example. Yep. Yeah. I mean, so, and that doesn't happen every week, uh, but it, you know, it happens. It's happened more than once and we're not too far into this. So uh, that, that, that'd be nice. So having that family support uh, would be uh, welcome. What worries you the most? What scares you the most? I'm assuming you're worried and scared. Maybe there's the wrong word. You know, all sorts of emotions that you go through. But I think the thing that keeps me up, quote unquote, is the unknown. What we don't know is how fast this d- disease is going to progress. So if I have an off day, what I don't know is, so say, usually I trimmer a little bit in between pills or whatever, but I'm not trimmering constantly but if i have a bad day i can when or if i'm emotionally rot or if i'm super tired the symptoms increase what i don't know in that moment is is this my new normal now because i don't know how fast the disease is going to progress and neither does anybody else so will i just be this way for the next five years or will i be this way for the next five days i don't know yeah, that's got to be unsettling. So that's probably the thing that's scariest. Yeah. I can't imagine. It's 5.20 in the morning. I've been up since 2 and uh, can't sleep. Uh, my leg's been twitching. Uh, restless leg syndrome. It's getting close to my next medication. Uh, and so my uh, right hand is beginning to tremor and shake. Um, and it, uh, it's not something you can really stop. You just <laughs> watch it wiggle. <laughs> but it's, you know, on the other side, you know, I've got Becky and I've got Henry and I've got you and Dan and Bruce and mom and Reinhold and all your spouses and this huge community on social media. And I mean, like. Since I've started telling my story, the, the amount of support I'm getting from around the world is empowering. So that that keeps me going. Boy, other, you and I've talked. Like, how do you do it? Like, how do you put up with? How do you put on a, a happy face in the face of you know 
this adversity? Um, well, how do you keep such a positive outlook? You know, it's you wake up to an eight year old giggling and laughing in your house and a loving wife, and it's um, pretty easy to do because you want to live life for them. You don't want to crawl up in a hole. Yep. And, um, you know, the alternative is that I don't live life. And what fun is that? <laughs> it's like, you know, yep. the, the, I got to look, Michael J. Fox was diagnosed, you know, like 30 years ago. Like there's a lot of living left to do. Yeah. There's some things I can't do. And there's some things that are harder for me to do. And all right, well then I'll do something else. You know, it's like, well, right. Listen, I've resisted exercise my whole life, and maybe this is what is needed for me to actually get off my butt <laughs> and move right. my body some. I mean, I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it's. I, I guess I can have a positive attitude because I have a loving family. I've got uh, a great job. I've got a great employer who's supporting me. Uh, I live in a great country, and I have another country I, I'm from, and – you know, the, the, the world is getting smaller. And so the, you know, through social media and through everything else, you, there's, there's right. a lot of love coming at me. Um, and whether it's through prayer or through, you know, Facebook posts or through whatever, um, I feel it. And that the, the, the world ener energizes me. I mean, it's, um, the, the more I speak about it, the more positive I get in return. And it's sort of a, uh, it feeds itself. You know, we're not a family of I love you's, and we didn't say I love you a lot growing up, but uh, I found uh, more reason to tell all of you that I love you, and I do love you, Bruce, and appreciate everything yeah, and you I do. love you, too. And we're doing we're doing the same thing with the rest of the family, so there's more I love you's going everywhere. Mm -hmm. So there's a, a bit of a blessing there for sure. You know I love you, Dan. And I love you, too, Larry. I love my whole family, and you're right. We don't say it enough, and I think that – as dad became sicker and sicker, I think that's when we all probably said it out loud more often. And, you know, it's one of the things that Dee and I have talked about is we need to say that more often in our family. Um, because I don't want, um, my kids to grow up not hearing that. And I want them to learn that that's part of being a family is unconditional love. You should know that I love you, Tracy. And I love you. And and I hope that I tell you that enough. I, I don't know that there is such a thing as enough, but um, I love you very much. I don't really know what to say more than... Wow, more than I'm, I'm speechless. I found it so interesting when you asked your siblings, you know, where were you when I told you about my diagnosis? Because I think that this is a thing that, you know, we ask each other when it comes to those big traumatizing life events, you know, news events come to mind. You go, where were you when you heard about such and such? But we don't often apply that to our own personal lives. You know, where were you when I told you this news that's going to change our lives? I thought that was, I thought that was a really interesting question to ask. And 
More interesting is that they remembered exactly where they were when they heard that news. That's how much it impacted them. Do you remember where you were when I told you I had Parkinson's? (laughs) You do, actually. I was sitting in your office, and you told me. Uh, We later had that conversation in front of a couple microphones after I had time to (laughs) process that information. But yeah, you're right. You know, it's it's funny because I do remember when when big things happen in people's lives that we care about. We remember like where we were, what we were doing for whatever reason. It's how we're wired. Um, And I think it's, um, you know, my life will never be the way it was. Well, neither will theirs. Right. So those conversations that you had were obviously so important, so impactful. Have you kept up those conversations since with your siblings? Not like that. Um, We still text when we figure out the family texting. It's sometimes my sister's on a different carrier. It's a big mess. (laughs) Um, And then there's the occasional phone calls. Um, But... And it's it's not the same. You know, there's something about being in a studio with a locked door and soundproof room versus being in your family room. Right. And the intimacy that I could, and the privacy I had to be able to have that conversation. Um, it's like you need to make an appointment. It's like, it's like a therapy session with your family. Uh, so I I don't want to not ever do it again, uh, but it's not something we're doing ongoing uh, on a, any regular basis, but we probably should. So obviously you have had some pretty intimate conversations uh, with your siblings, with family members. Have you found out if anyone else in your family has Parkinson's? Well, we're all trying to remember back, did we, do we remember an aunt or an uncle with a weird shuffling gait? Do we remember tremors and, you know, there's been alcoholics and there's been pancreatic cancer and there's, there's been some other things, but none of us can recall uh, a neurodegenerative disease. My dad did have a degenerative disease. It wasn't neurodegenerative, but it was um, a disease called myelofibrosis. Um, And now I have this. So I did ask my siblings, like, how's, how's that feel? Knowing that dad had a degenerative disease and I've got a degenerative disease, does that put any thoughts in your head about your own health? Yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, before, even before dad, I mean, I don't know if you're, so, so both Don and Dub had pancreatic cancer along the way, and that's a that's a really bad one. And so, um, and then dad had, had his disease, which, which wasn't that, but definitely, definitely has me thinking. Um, and then when the other thing I think about is, you know, dad was, you know, 70, um, when he died and, um, that used to be old. That's not very old anymore. So that's, you know, another 16 years for me and I can, I can remember back 16 years pretty easily. So, so to get to 70 from here is not that not that long, and, and I don't expect that that's when I'm going to die. But certainly, um, you, you think about those kinds of things. Where do your thoughts go regarding your own health, knowing that 
your dad had an incurable disease, and now your little brother has an incurable disease. Well, I've been incurable for years. Uh, that's been known, <laughs> but I have other issues now. Incorrigible, um, I think is. You know, <laughs> I I um I don't really think about it in in the sense of my own mortality or my own diagnosis, other than to feel just utterly blessed that you know I wake up each day and it's like what hurts today? Well, uh, today it, it's it's my legs because I did yard work yesterday, you know, and I did a lot more bending over than I usually do. But you know, I I I think that's how I look at it is is that I'm just blessed to to not be dealing with it, and so it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Um, but it's you know, I definitely feel for those who are suffering with whatever they are suffering for, and and I wish you know everyone to be in good health. But I also know that the reality is that's not how the world works, and you know. Bad things happen to good people, and it's not right, it's not fair, um, but it's reality. Do you ever think about the fact that your dad had an incurable disease, and now your brother has an incurable disease, and what that might mean for your future? Oh, yeah. Crossed my mind a few times, but I don't want to know. I'm doing my best to live my best life right now. And how do you do that? I live in the moment, and I have some perspective to apply to anything that I might think is a challenge. I apply the Larry filter. What's that? (laughs) Well, like, this sounds so ridiculous, but... um, you know, we just built a home gym. You know, gym, my gym, is a workout hound. <laughs> and uh, he he built a workout routine for me to do at home. And uh, last week, I'm not going to lie, my arms were killing me. But, you know, I just, you move on. Like, it was good hurt. It was muscle hurt. It was, but I, I was using muscles I hadn't used in a while. And, uh, it, you know, you apply the Larry filter and, you know, be glad that you can work out that way. Trace, like, Larry couldn't do that. And quit your whining. You've got a good life. Quit your whining. So, you, uh, you, you apply perspective. The Larry filter. You know, that's a really interesting statement. The Larry filter. We should copyright that because it's so true. When you find out what someone else is going through, suddenly you look at your own life a little bit differently. You want a t-shirt or a hat? <laughs> Do you or? want a Larry filter t-shirt? <laughs> <laughs> we'll work on that. In each episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's, Larry checks in with his wife, Rebecca. So this is the episode where Larry gets all sappy. <laughs> and That's the Larry I know and love. <laughs> so I think I should probably start by saying, honey, I love you. I love you too. It was fun listening to it. Of course, I know all the, you know, most of the characters involved, all your family and, and whatnot, but I found it very uh, genuinely moving to hear their expressions and 
more than I had heard and more than they had expressed to us before their experience with this so far. How are you feeling about the distance from your family and my family? Mm-hmm. I have mixed I have mixed emotions about it. Like um, it it does kind of bring up the idea of, well, what what happens if the poo hits the fan? We don't know how this is going to progress. We don't know what kind of practical support we're going to need. But most of the time, I guess I don't allow myself to entertain worst case scenarios and it feels like living in the future too much and so much of getting through something like this for us anyway is to be in the present and how it might be in six months i'm not sure that's helpful to or five years or ten years yeah would would you think back because you had non-hodgkin's lymphoma when you were in your early 20s how important was the family contact when you were going through that I at at the time I didn't want to admit that it was really helpful <laughs> because I was I was a young twenty something I had my first job I was on my own independent hear me roar right um, but it ended up being very important I moved back in I was out on my own and had a job and moved in a different lived in a different city from my family and then I ended up when I had a recurrence of disease I had to move back in with my parents. And as resistant as I was initially to that to that process, I knew that it was the right thing to do. So it did mean a lot. And maybe that's part of why I think about that. Your family being far away from you, and I can only imagine how difficult that is. It would be difficult for, for me. I have been far away from family members going through surgery or having an illness or whatever. And that is very difficult to not be able to help and to care for that person and want to know what they're going through and whatnot and not having the practical situation to be able to know that. So what would you tell Bruce and Dana Tracy about how I am today on a, on a regular day? I'm struggling with that question a little bit. I, um, The essence of you is the same. You have a the same sense of humor, the same approach to the world, the same big heart. Um, he walks slower and he clomps, <laughs> right? And so you have to adapt your pace in the world. We have to we have to adapt when we do things together mm-hmm. with just you and me or the or with Henry. Then we we have to adapt to be everything happens a little slower. It's you know it's a thousand little things every day I suppose but nothing feels like it's that oh well you know this is the really big thing that you're going to notice and it's so different it's just little little nuanced things that are that are different that you notice a lot more than I do there's not like one thing that's well this is really bad oh that said I'm, I'm sure they would notice differences because the last time they saw you in person was what a couple years ago yeah i'm sure that they would notice differences but then they would spend time with you and it would just become you and then eventually they would find a way to tease you about it and make fun of it and laugh about it the way that we do but right now it's this kind of separate distant nebulous thing that's it's very scary to them and i yeah. of, of course it is right of course it is of course it is um I'm the baby. I'm perfect. And suddenly, I'm imperfect. See, I don't know that any of your siblings ever thought that you were perfect. Oh, that's they just, they know how perfect. That's <laughs> just your mom. <laughs> <laughs> I do miss my family, and I miss my friends, and I miss effortless days, 
taking my health for granted uh, and being invincible. Uh, but I think probably that has as much to do with being 46 years old and far away from family and friends as it does as to having Parkinson's disease. But that's the thing with this disease is you don't know what is part of the disease and what's not part of the t- disease. Is that symptom Parkinson's or is that me getting older? Uh, and I think every Parkinson's patient struggles with that um, because everything becomes part of this Parkinson's soup. I think the challenge for me moving forward is being able to not just see the negatives, to, to see what has Parkinson's given me, what has it done for me, which sounds weird because it's a bastard of a disease. Uh, but it has reconnected me to my siblings in a much deeper way. And it's introduced me to this amazing, loving Parkinson's community. It's given me more focus and purpose, has me exercising eating differently and uh, being more mindful really every day. So there's the good and then there's the, the bad crap. Thus, Parkinson's and I, to this day, remain frenemies. Parkinson's disease is not a natural part of aging. It's not contagious. It's not part of the same condition as Alzheimer's. There's no blood test that can diagnose Parkinson's disease. There's no known cause. On the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. Everything happens for a reason. You know, talk to mom. You know, she was clearly upset. It makes me worry about mom. What's the hardest part? That it's you and not me. I drank a lot. And I ate a lot of foods that just were comfort foods. Yeah. And tried to cope with it that way. Didn't work very well. (laughs) Do you ever wish that sometimes, though, you were still that character in their story that formerly they perceived you to be sure yeah would i rather not have parkinson's you bet thanks for listening please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts google podcasts or wherever you're listening to this right now and while you're there give the show a rating and feel free to comment too it's just a few clicks and it really really helps the more this podcast grows the more attention Parkinson's receives and the more money we raise for research the closer we can come to getting a cure, to fixing it. You can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Instagram. Or email Nikki and me at parkinsonspod at curiouscast.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. Keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. 